So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. Hey, we did this last year and we brought it back again. This is your 2021 best of the best. We pulled approximately 10 episodes or so that we feel like were some of our best, most highly downloaded, and some of the episodes that I love the most. Without further ado, here's our 2021 best of the best. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the DirectClicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you ready to get out of the daily rut and begin working at your highest level? Coach P Consulting will help you do just that using the same strategies he did to sell over 500 life insurance policies in 2020 and on track for over 600 life insurance policies in 2021. No, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look at the behind the scenes team training and an office performing at the highest level. Coach P currently has a 100% retention rate for everyone who joins. And hey, those numbers speak for themselves. Coach P will train your team alongside his own to show you the exact steps they are taking to achieve chairman circle in two agencies, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club. So whether your goal is to be the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and tactics to get you there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level. His strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get 50% off your first month of coaching when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Again, that's coachpconsulting.com. Humble beginnings in it is definitely a driver because you're not comfortable. If you're comfortable, I call it a healthy paranoia to be better. If you're always worried that you're not good enough, you're not quite knowing it all, that is a massive motivator to spur you on to be great. So you're trying to, I always say, stack the deck in your favor so that you're going to have a positive outcome. So I look at players, they're much like a business, like, and you look at the different departments and they might have a bad marketing department, but they got a great accounting department. You're always looking at a player as where are they performing and where are they underperforming? So the players coming to you stressed, anxious, worried. So your job as the coach is to create calm and everybody wants certainty, right? So you're trying to create a certainty for them that you have a plan, you have a vision, and you're going to give them something to be able to basically resolve their issue. So they want answers. The connection, as I call it, is the most important area. And so a good coach has the ability to do that. You're a multilinguist people person. You're trying to be able to make a connection with the person to earn their trust early so they'll open up. You want someone to kind of be very, if you like, I hate to use the word, but they've got to be vulnerable to be able to be coached. And so you've got to try and create that environment. Then the question is, what is the task skill that you're trying to 
improve or accomplish? What is the goal that you want? So from there, we have to start with the end in mind and then work backwards. And so once we understand that, we explain to them, okay, look, here are the things and the ingredients that you have that are going to complement or facilitate what you need to do. However, here are the ingredients that you're missing to try and make this recipe. That's where you come in and you say, okay, from the least invasive, ideally, here are the ingredients that we need to add in to get this outcome. So once you've kind of given them that framework, they've got it. We use these big eight by four whiteboards and we write it out and we show them. You're trying to accentuate what they do well and then what we can add to complement to that to make them more successful. Once they understand the different pieces that they need to have, we now need to go on to how do we essentially get them in a situation where we are going to try and develop the skill? So what are the things we need to do in order to do that? So now we have to basically get them in a situation where now we're piecing that together and we're developing for them their procedures, if you like, the protocols they need to have so that we can give them a chance to start training and developing the skill. Now, once we do that, we're now using a lot of gamification. We're using things to simulate and synthesize what they're going to do. Because ultimately, when they go to do what they need to do and they perform, there's going to be more stress, more chaos, and that's going to lead to a lot of anxiety. So if you're not prepared for that, then you're never going to perform. So this is where the coaching comes in. So check in with yourself as an agency owner. There's a reason why you are in your position. Find out what you're doing right first. Yeah. Do more of that and then start building on your skill set. Start studying people that you admire. Start listening to TED Talks, all those things. You know, you ask and I get that asked all the time. I can't afford it, Kristen. I don't know how I can add a staff member. I don't know. How can I buy leads? I'm just starting out. And I totally get that. I've been through all of that. My answer is always find a way. Find a way. There is a way. To me and my agency... I will grow every single year from year one till I retire. There is zero chance I won't grow every year, regardless of what happens in the industry. I will grow. And that's the mindset I have. Every few months, I speak to some new agent, a group of new agents. And there's always someone in the crowd that says, hey, Jeremy, the meeting's over now. Can you just give me one tip? Like, what would you do to be successful? What would you do? I want to be successful. And I think they're expecting me to give them the name of a lead vendor or maybe yeah. my best closing technique or the best CRM or a yeah, spreadsheet <laughs> or something. And I always say the same thing. Yeah, the best advice I could ever give you would be right after this meeting, jump in your car and drive to the nearest bank and take out the biggest line of credit you possibly can because your job is now to invest in your growth. And people are so afraid to do that, but that really is what separates people that are successful in growth and people that are not. It's just like sports. You just keep on trying to get better. But then the other thing that you have to remember is he doesn't just say, just throw money at the business and say, let's see what happens. Like, oh, let's go buy a whole bunch of leads and let's see how everybody does that. We protect the investment with the training that we do with making sure that we have systems and processes in place, with making sure that we have accountability measures and a good compensation plan, all those things protect that investment. I think a lot of times when he says that, he makes it sound so simple, just go put the money in the business, but it's not, you can't put the money in the business and walk away. Then it's the hard work. Like we spend a ton of time and a lot of hard work in the business and we always will in order to protect that investment that he's making and get the growth that he wants because it goes hand in hand. I think when you start to make change, you have to assess like why everybody's there. If they're there for the right reason, then they're up for the change. If they're not there for the right reason, they're really not up for the changes. If you're an agency, most have two, three people. You've just got to be okay with that. Ours was a little extreme because we have so many people, but to lose nine was a very big he, impact he on, on the agency. We were very stressed <laughs> out, but we do the same thing that we recommend to, if you have just one agency, you're going to go through some changes. If you're making that decision that I want to raise the bar for my agency, mm -hmm. I want to be in that growth mindset. It's not just about, okay, I'll write a check and good, mm -hmm. we start producing more policies. 
there's going to be a lot of things you got to experience and go through to get there. You'll be surprised how much life insurance you can write and how much premium you can write just by doing the basics. Protect yourself and talk to enough customers mm-hmm. about it. Make your goal. If you want to talk to somebody about life insurance once a week, appointment that holds. Mm-hmm. That's 52 appointments a year. So your simplicity, okay? Mm-hmm. 52 appointments a year. If you select customers and sit down and do that, you will close 20 to 30 of those 52. And if you did the presentation the way you were educated to show them the entirety of it, then there's no question. So doing big premiums is not by luck. I have agents that say, well, I wasn't lucky or you're always lucky. I had a doctor that I insured that made jokes about. He has a sign in his office. He said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. When you train your team members and you train them in a culture to be honest, you see, if you lie for me, you lie to me. So I do not accept dishonesty. We're going to do it right. Okay, that's number one. And if you're honest, if you do a good job, if you take care of my customers, I'll back you up. I came in my office one day. One of my best team members is in tears because I have a customer that was so rude. He's an attorney. He called and chewed her out, was very rude to her. Guess what? I called the customer in my office to share what I found. Is this true? He said, yes. I said, well, let me tell you this. I am not one of those that will say to you, the customer is always right. I said, I'm going to be honest with you, sir. The premium you're paying in my agency, I can run an ad. I can send emails out. I can replace that premium by writing new business. I cannot replace Diane, that is her. And you were rude to her. And I would appreciate if you would call and let her know that you take back because you will call in here, I'm not here, and you end up dealing with Diane. I don't want a situation that you have to wait for me because that might be a week and then you're going to say that's bad service. See, think about it. Diane is sitting there hearing me tell this lawyer to call and apologize because I back up my team members when they're right. I'm willing to lose a customer that loses a team member. And when you have a culture that they know, you back them up. They become extra loyal. If you can borrow money, whatever you can do, and go into the mindset that you need to have an extra person in the office. And if you want to know what you can do to make that extra person pay for themselves, call me, seriously, or ask anybody that can walk you through getting them to produce. So always try to carry an extra person mm. so you're not in the hole all the time. That's one-on-one yeah. success in this business. Second, if you hire someone, have expectations and have some measurements. I'll give you an example. If they're going to be in sales while they're doing the modules, if they're not successful in getting butts on the chair for you to sell, so they learn firsthand when they become experts after you spend time and money to train them, they will not have people to present to. So while you're learning the product, if you are not able to make the appointments to overcome the objections and bring bots on the chair for me to sell, I'm not going to keep you to the point where you learn the product because that's going to be a waste of my time. So I cut loose early. I have measurements. I'm going to give you a very simple example. Ask a very simple question. Brian, in the last 12 months or in the next 12 months, if you make or able to save as much money as you saved the last 12 months, would you be happy? There are certain things that I do that is so basic. I said, if you don't have enough sense to get a result asking this question, you're not going to have enough sense to close a sale. No offense. You may be the best human being, but you don't belong in my office. So I set guidelines what you should do in the first week. And we discuss it. What you should do at the end of the first month. And we discuss it. At the end of the first month, if you didn't do it, you're going home. I'd rather start with someone else. We chose and we choose to really fall in love with the people that we coach. We believe in them. We cheer them on because we know 
their pain points. We all have pain points, but certainly our business owners, the agents and the team members, they've got those pain points and we know what they are because we've coached them for over two decades. And we have heard time and time again from leaders, they'd say, oh, I wish my team members would do X, Y, Z. And then we heard from coaching team members, they would say, oh, I just wish my leaders would do X, Y, Z. And so we had the beauty and the benefit of hearing both sides. Yet so often we couldn't call up the team members and say, hey, if you would just do X, Y, Z, your leader would really pour into you and be excited and push through and you can accomplish so much more as a team. You can overcome vice versa, we would love to call the leader and say, hey, this is what we're hearing from your team. If you would just do this, if you just invest in them in this way, they would run through that fiery brick wall. I would have a leader call me up and say, hey, can you come teach a life insurance class? We're not selling enough life insurance. And of course I could do that. I would go out and do a life insurance class and At the end of the class, the audience, the learners, they could illustrate that they could go from the pivot to uncovering the need, overcoming objections, make the sale, ask for referrals, thank the customer and and move on. And so if their life depended on it, they could sell life insurance. And the funny thing is, a few months later, the leader would call back and say, hey, we're still not selling life insurance. Can you come teach another class? And the parts that haven't changed is that the reasons and the causes of why we aren't producing at our peak level, those things don't change. And it's so much more than product or sales knowledge. It could be culture. It could be processes in the office. It could be lack of communication. It could be fear. It could be internal struggle that a team member may be going through. And so when we designed our curriculum, we design it in a way to treat as many of those areas as we possibly can. Because once we help your team members understand who they are and who their teammates are, and we help them understand how they're interacting with one another and with their client and how they're talking to themselves, then we can talk to them about how they make themselves stronger, wiser, more resilient, and then how they work better as a team together. Be purposeful about your development plan. What we see, and this does not cost a lot of money, but it does take time. And it's a matter of taking that thinking time, sitting back and saying, okay, let me look at the calendar year. Let me look at each quarter. Let me look at each month and let me look at each week. And let me be purposeful about the development and the training that I want to plan out for my team. I think there's a lot of benefit in asking the team what they need, what they like, and what they want. So you're taking in all of that. Then you're looking at, too, what do I think my team needs? What do I think my team wants? And so there's a lot of time there, thinking time, gathering resources to put down a specific plan. I think what we see most often is, I know I need to develop my team. I have a meeting coming up on Monday morning. Let me look at my bookshelf. Okay, let me pull out. Okay, I'm going to pull out the book Soup by John Gordon. I'm going to turn to this chapter. We're going to discuss it. And boom, that was a win. And then all of a sudden it's a week later and I'm like, okay, I've got a meeting. What am I going to talk to them about? Let me quick pull up a quote on the internet and we'll discuss it. And I think that's what we see most often versus being very strategic about that path. If you really want a strong culture, like Wendy alluded to this earlier, you have to study your team members. You have to study your team, you have to pour into that team. And that's too about finding out what their core values and their philosophies are. Your philosophy is that belief system, that thing that's in you. And we are big believers in the belief system and the why behind what you're doing. I would venture to say, if I'm not doing something or if there's something wrong with the culture, there's something not right with that belief system my driving force, you know, the underlying current there. 
And I think a lot of people, what we've seen, haven't taken time to reflect and figure out what are my core values? What do I really believe in? And certainly if they know they're not sitting down at the table with their team to say, these are my core values. This is why I believe the way that I believe. And having discussion around that, now we grow together and I believe and I honor my teammates and I build them up and we see each other's differences as strengths to help our teams grow. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a State Farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top-performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. And today I ask a common question to audiences when I can, and I get the same response. I'll ask them, what is your primary source for opportunities? Where do you get your lead flow? And I tell them raise your hand if this is their number one thing, word of mouth. And that's what I start with. And it feels like every hand goes up. And my response is, that's wonderful that clients think highly enough of you to refer you, but you are in a real precarious position because now you're dependent upon your clients to do the marketing for you. What if that client goes away? What if they decide not to market you anymore? So word of mouth is icing on the cake. It's surely not the cake itself. And we need to build effective marketing. And if we go in that approach with just build it and the word will get out, that's a mistake. I believe that if your services or products and my services or products are superior to my competitions, if it offers my clients something that is better in some capacity in some way, I actually have a responsibility to market it to them. It'd be a shame if my clients discover a different product that's of this service to them or not as good a service that I can and go with them because they never heard of me. So I invite those people in those audiences, like we got to step up and be very deliberate about our marketing, make it happen intentionally, not passively. The great irony is we want our businesses to stand out without having to stand out. We want to differentiate without having to differentiate ourselves. We want to be noticed by being unnoticeable. It's this weird kind of bipolar situation that's going on. So what I found is I've decided to become more fearful of mediocrity than exposing the raw, real me. Realizing there are communities that say, this guy is totally not for me, probably words more severe than that. But there's also <laughs> communities that says, finally, this guy's raising his hand. Someone's speaking my language. I think this is available for all of us. If we simply speak to our truth, if we don't pander, the right people will notice and the wrong people not that they're bad people or wrong, they're just wrong for us, will be repelled by us. And the greatest irony is sometimes even causes conflict. So I have some people say, this guy, he makes a mockery of business. He's really goofy. He's joking around. Business is a professional experience. We should be deadly serious about this. And these kind of haters on me. And then there's these others that say, no, no, business is about actually experiencing fun, about expressing ourselves. And when they are kind of firing those arguments back and forth, I'm the benefactor because, or the beneficiary, I should say, because it elevates the exposure for the work I'm doing. 
Mm. What I realized in that moment is that marketing is a responsibility. It's an act of kindness. And before I thought it was an act of interruption, but it's not. I mean, interruption is part of it. You need to get attention, but it's an act of kindness because if what we offer is superior, it's better, cares the customer, we have to get in front of them to notice it. We have to at least give them the choice to consume it or not, but if they never notice it, they'll never buy it. If you get in front of them and they see what you have and they consider the alternatives, and they choose an alternative, great. You've done the right thing because you got in front of them, but we can't shirk responsibility of getting noticed. That is an act of kindness. So it's not necessarily more sales we need. Sales are necessary, but alone are not sufficient. Sales brings in revenue. But now we need to start capturing that revenue and bringing about profitability. The balance here to sales is actually profit. And you often ignore it. And so like the seesaw, we put a million pounds of weight on the sales side and nothing happens on profit. And we can never bring that balance back. So in some cases, it's actually less sales, but focusing on the right sales and getting rid of the bad ones actually brings more health to an organization. Sometimes it's, let's put a moratorium in trying to sell more. Let's keep on taking on opportunities for sure as they present themselves, but let's put a profit system in place. And I said, how come so many business owners and everyone listening to this podcast, I'm sure started our business for financial freedom. At least that's part of the reason. Maybe it's because it's your joy too, for financial freedom. And yet that's the one thing we can't achieve. What's wrong with us? And it's like, oh my gosh, there's nothing wrong with us. We are following a formula that is flawed. The traditional foundational formula is sales minus expenses equals profit. In fact, it's in our vernacular. We call profit the bottom line or the year end. All things that say comes last. And while that does make logical sense, it does not make behavioral sense. Because when something comes last, it means it's insignificant. I would never say my health is so important to me. That's why I'm putting my health last now. Or, <laughs> you know, like you never say stuff like that. Last yeah. means it doesn't matter now. So profit's the bottom line, year end, it comes last. It means it doesn't matter until the year end. And then we look at our numbers and it's not there. We're like, damn it, maybe next year. So what I did in Prop First is we simply flipped the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. What I mean by this in practice is every time revenue comes into your firm, every time we have sales, we subtract a predetermined percentage of that money as profit. It's a cash profit we hide from ourselves and then run our business off the remainder. This is the pay yourself first principle applied to business. So profit first in a full implementation, the full base implementation has seven accounts. There's these five accounts we call the foundational five and these two accounts to hide money from ourselves so we don't steal from ourselves. So what we do is we set up these accounts. One is called income to recognize incoming deposits. One's called profit that we already talked about. This is a distribution to a shareholder. You started the business. One's called owner's comp, different than profit. Owner's comp is the pay for you to be an employee in your business. Basically, if you were to hire someone to replace yourself, what would you have to pay them to stay? That's the amount of money you should be being paid as a salary. Different than profit, that's for owning a business, taking on risk. One for tax. Tax is the number one biggest bill that business owners are least prepared for that's associated with operating business is the tax bill. So we're going to reserve money to pay taxes. And this isn't just the corporation's taxes. It's your own personal taxes too, because that's the definition of financial freedom, not worrying about bills. The last account is called OPEX. That's for the operations of the business. And I know this is a lot, but what happens is money flows in. We carve it up based on a percentage basis, just like the envelope system. You now know what money is available for what intended use. You grab that OPEX envelope and you say, okay, I had $1,000 coming into income. I carved this up. I actually have $500 to operate my business because I want to have $100 for profit. I want to pay myself 200 bucks. I need reserve for taxes. So what happens is now we have a very clear understanding just by logging to our bank account, what money is available for what intended use. We have to delegate out what we either are not great at doing or we don't want to do. And this is where my agency started to transform and go to the next level is going and taking a class about leadership and learning. I've always had coaches. I've always tried to improve myself in any way possible and seeing the opportunity differently, right? I don't view myself as an insurance agent. I view myself as a business owner. And as a business owner, where should I be focusing my time? And that's a mixture of what is important to the business and also what do I enjoy doing? If I hate coaching, I shouldn't be coaching. If I hate talking about life insurance, I probably shouldn't be the one having the life insurance conversations, right? So I don't do my taxes. I'm not my janitor. 
I delegate out these things that I should not be specializing in. And part of that can be, for some people, development of the agency, coaching the team. So it starts with the mindset of, do I have the awareness to realize I'm weak somewhere or I don't enjoy what I do? I need to find somebody that can do it for me. So you've got to start with what do you want? Like, why are you going to do these things? Where is it going to get you? Is your goal to make a specific income? Is your goal to spend a Friday every week out of the office? What is it that you're shooting for, right? Figure out your why, and then let's figure out how to get there. In most situations, we have to start to scale our business, okay? If you have two team members, you're not going to have freedom of time. And you're probably not going to have a lot of freedom of money unless you just went from 10 team members down to two. So if you want to have these things, you've got to see what it's going to take as a business. So when it gets into scaling the company, you've got to find the weak points. My PNC acquisition team doesn't have enough time on their hands to go do reviews to get financial services. My service team doesn't have any time to make appointments and set people on my calendar, whatever it may be. You've got to figure out where that gap is. It's going to take you to that next level that you're looking for. And then you've got to find a way to either schedule out time for it or hire for it. Can your team members block one hour of time on the calendar and give intentional focus for that one hour? We've all seen the analogy where you fill the bucket with the sand and the rocks and the water, right? There's always room. Your bucket is always going to be full. You've just got to determine what's going in there first. And that's where we as leaders can determine, is it going to be the important stuff or the non-important stuff, right? And then take it to the next level. All of a sudden, we're becoming more efficient. And now we can start to bring more people on board. I'm, a, as I said earlier, humongous fan on specialization. Can I bring in somebody? And once again, if there's someone that's budget conscious or things are tight, let's start on a small scale. Can I bring in someone 20 hours a week and take this and that off of your plates so that you can do more of the higher income producing activities. And then all of a sudden, you've got this handled and it was never handled before. So many of us kind of dream about bringing in that outside person that is just going to go to town because we've got a large book of business, fish in a barrel. And story after story. That's what people think is fish in a barrel, cool. right? Yeah. Right. yeah. And it seems to always fail for most people, right? You've got a few unicorns out there that work out. And I've been down that road too. I hired a New York Life guy five years ago and it was horrible. It was a complete failure. But where we've gotten better is we focus on specific processes and we coach that one play. So this will shock you. My girl that focuses on it wrote 300 Life Apps last year. She has absolutely no insurance experience whatsoever really doesn't even have much sales experience, okay? But we drilled down this play so minute to where as long as the personality and work ethic are there that we were looking for, the play can be run. So I've actually kind of turned this into a ARS type system. We've hired three of these people now that actually run this play for other agents across the country. And this is where it's kind of surprising She's not a life specialist. None of them are a life specialist. We run one play. This is her full-time job. She runs the auto build report. She pulls up the report every Monday and we dig through it and look for opportunities. And I teach a very specific play on how to reach out to those people, what the script looks like. It's all over the phone. And then where we got smarter and better after doing this for a while, we then, once it's issued, turn it into a larger policy. We have another conversation, part two of the process, where we increase the benefit, turn it into a better premium play, and then we bring them in and start planting seeds for a term conversion. So last year, we wrote 500 life policies. Never in my wildest dreams that was that ever in the plan, right? But the play keeps getting better and better and better. This year, we're on time to eclipse 600. And it's only because we drilled down these plays in such a small way, we gave someone control of it and said, you're in charge, you're gonna be held accountable and we're gonna have success. And they become perfect at what they do and they don't have obstacles in their way. They can't tell me I was too busy. I had to help a walk-in. This is your role, you've gotta own it. 
yeah, I think if you have a good plan and you just stick to it and you grind and you work hard and you hustle, it will pay off. And I think a lot of it is just being able to kind of read the signs around you as opportunities present themselves to being able to recognize and being willing to walk through those doors when they open, being nimble enough to pivot when you need to. I know that's become kind of this catchphrase almost in the business world, the idea of pivoting, but but there is something real to it, especially in the early mm-hmm. days of business. I think you need mm-hmm. to be able to do that and recognize opportunity as it presents itself. And so I've kind of observed some of the top agents in the insurance world to look at what makes them successful. What are some common threats? Because they may not get there in the same way. You may have five different guys on a stage all wildly successful from a sales standpoint, but their methodology may be very different in how they got there. But they all have some very core similar principles if you start to really listen to them and dig in. And I think one of those common principles that all of those guys have is they are constantly learning. No matter how successful they are, they're constantly learning and looking to other agents, looking outside of their industry and trying to find principles that they can apply. I mean, I know I mentioned Scott earlier. He was my agent for years until he retired. And that was one of the things I always really respected and took away from times with Scott was he was continually learning from other agents, not even agents that, in most of the cases, it was agents that weren't, had not reached the levels of success that maybe he had. But he's looking for new creative things that he could implement all the time in his agency. And I think that's a big part of figuring out all of that is you have to constantly be learning in order to really refine that and understand what it is that you want to pursue to understand what's the best or most profitable avenue to take as far as the market is concerned. But I think that's probably one of the biggest keys is I'm constantly reading inside the industry, outside the industry, trying to learn and apply principles that are going to get me to whatever my end goal or purpose is. And so one of the things I've really observed in watching agents in the world of marketing is they just throw money at things. They don't know if it works or not. They may see results. Things are starting to maybe sign some additional policies. But at the end of the day, they really don't know where it's coming from, right? So they just kind of start throwing stuff at the wall and hoping something sticks. So the one thing they don't do is they're not really able to track their results, They do things just because they know they're supposed to do them without Mm. giving much thought to why they're doing it, right? So promotional products is probably the most obvious area where I see this. All agents give stuff away. They give stuff away all the time, but they really have no idea why they're giving it away. And they certainly don't have a clear goal in mind for giving it away. So what that results in oftentimes is they give away cheap junk because they can give away a lot of it. And the problem with that is those promotional products are actually advertising medium. It's the same as a billboard, running a newspaper ad, radio spot, whatever. It's the same thing. And so you measure your ROI in the exact same way that you would for any of those other advertising mediums. You measure it on the number of impressions you get compared to the cost, right? So if you give away a piece of junk, probably the most basic example of that is a pen, right? Every agent gives away pens. If I were to ask you though, you know, Bradley, hey, in your desk, how many pens do you have? You probably have 20, either in a cup on your desk or inside of your desk. But then if I were to ask you, do you have a go-to? Good chance you've got one or two pens that you go to every single time, right? Why? Because it writes well, feels good in the hand. But the default, I think for most agents is give away as much as you can possibly give away. All right. So if you give away a thousand really cheap, lousy pens that somebody gets, they try to write with it and it doesn't write good at all. They throw it in the drawer, they throw it in the trash. They never look at it again. You got one ad impression for that, right? So what if you spend a little bit more and you give away a nicer pen that people are going to actually use. And instead of giving away a thousand pens, you give away 500 pens or 250 pens, but they're used a hundred times each. Well, now you've got a hundred ad impressions. And instead of it being a lousy ad impression, it's actually a good ad impression that's representative of your brand. And your return on investment is infinitely higher than what it was when you gave away way more product. So 
all that to tie it back into the bigger brands, those bigger brands, everything they do and everything they give away, again, Chick-fil-A is a great example of it. Whatever they do, they want it to be a great representation of who they are as a company. I think agents really miss that mark, that everything you give out and everything you disseminate from a marketing perspective says something about your agency. Really, I have eight processes in my office that I focus on, and we do training every single day from eight to nine. We meet, we have a training meeting for an hour every single day. And what I do is every single day for a week, I focus on one process. And so it's repeated for five days in a row. And then the next week we go to the second process and then the next week, the third process. And eight weeks later, we come back to the process we started with. And what's interesting is we get rusty. In fact, I wrote a book called Paychecks Never Lie. And in it, I talk about the training process and the concept behind it. We had an experience a number of years ago where we had a state champion. He wanted his junior year, upset the number one kid in the state. We were really excited. We didn't expect him to win, but he did. He came back his senior year, now is the captain of the team, and is the number one ranked kid in the state as a senior. We goes into the December Christmas break with a big Idaho, Utah, Oregon, Wyoming tournament with elite wrestlers, and he's the number one seeded kid in the tournament for his weight class. Well, what happens is the week before this tournament, he hyperextended his elbow in practice. It swelled up, and so we took him off of all live contact. And we just had him running and keeping his conditioning up, but no contact with the wrestlers so that that could heal up for the big tournament. Well, he goes in. Dane goes into the tournament, and his very first match is against a freshman kid that was like 6 and 15 on the year and wasn't very good. And we thought, okay, Dane will have him pinned in the first period. But he walked out there, and he looked rusty. In fact, I couldn't believe it. He looked like a freshman. And this freshman kid catches Dane in a headlock, throws him and pins him. And Dane's out of the tournament. He's on the loser side of the bracket. And we're astonished. And I remember Monday as he came into practice, I grabbed him. I'm like, Dane, what happened to you on the weekend? You didn't look like yourself. And he says, I just felt rusty. Like I just couldn't get into a rhythm. It was really weird. But coach, I'm not going to let that happen again. And you know what? They never lost another match his senior year. He won a second state championship. He went on to wrestle in college. And it was a real testament to me that if we're not doing that on a daily basis and repeating over and over again things, our team gets rusty. And so it's critical that we're repeating things every eight weeks. We focus on those processes. So back, I'm sorry, I'm talking too long on your question, but I start with why. And we go through six or seven of my personal beliefs that I think are really important that drives our actions. And if we'll focus on those things first, we can then go into the sales process and give you word tracks and practice how to say things. But if you don't understand the why on the front end, none of that really matters. We shouldn't have the mindset that what's the minimum amount I can pay to get the maximum out of somebody. Don't do that. Make sure you pay them well. Okay. And then expect excellence. And so you tell them, you tell them, listen, you're a first round draft pick. And these are the reasons why there are three attributes that you bring to work that I can't train. And if you've got them, you're going to be excellent. And if you don't have them, you can't have a job. Hmm. Number one, you got to be honest. We don't cut corners. We don't lie, cheat or steal. We're going to do the right thing. There's never a right time to do the wrong thing. And there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And so I ask in my interviews questions about honesty. When was the last time you got caught cheating? What happened when you were caught with a candy bar in your pocket when you were five years old in the grocery store and mom caught you? Like, what? Tell me about that. We just try to elicit response to get a feel for what that moral code's like for them. Because I'll tell you what, if they're not honest, they're going to be selfish and it's going to get themselves and you in trouble. Okay. But honest people are honest and they appreciate transparency. And so that's a key attribute you can't train. Number two, they got to have a kind heart. A person that's willing to take care of people, whether they're a friend, family member, or a stranger, is a person that will always go the extra mile. And people that have kind hearts, they don't bring drama into the workplace. Okay, Mm -hmm. They're willing to kind of cover for each other. And it's a great 
great attribute to look for in creating a culture of a team and a family. And so again, I ask questions about that. And then the third is somebody that is a hard worker. Everybody thinks they're a hard worker, but being a country boy and a wrestler, I know there's a difference between hard work and thinking you're a hard worker. And I want to know if you had a paper route when you were eight years old and were you mowing lawns and doing things when you were four, what kind of chores did mom and dad give you when you were a little kid? And I want to know what kind of work ethic you were raised with. That tells me a lot about whether I can go out there and expect you to do your job without me having to micromanage you. If you're not very good at selling, you're going to struggle, but you ought to be the best salesperson in the office because it's difficult to get your team to elevate and you can't lift somebody higher than you're standing. So you become the expert. You get really good at it. Show them the way by leading from the front and they're going to go, wow, look at everything Bradley's doing. This is amazing. And they're going to want to know and follow your lead. So that's what I would say to a young agent. Listen, your expenses are smaller because you're a smaller agency, but you still have the ability in the same 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to make what I make, okay, by producing. And that's what I would say to them. Give it a try. Now, you can't overpay when you don't have a lot of money. In fact, I don't think it makes sense to overpay. A person should earn what they earn. Don't overpay them for jobs that they haven't done. And I see that a lot with agents that they think if I pay them more, they'll make more. I don't believe that's true. Make that a healthy, fair balance. I had a team member a number of years ago come into my office. They wanted to raise. And I just said to him, I said, hey, I get where you're coming from, but help me understand why I would pay you more than I'm making because I'm already paying you 100% of my income. Why would you be worth more than I am? At least we're on a level playing field. And they looked at me and they're like, fair enough. I go, you want to make more? Then go sell more. Well, if we think about it, if we're in a big organization, we've ever been in an organization that is large enough to have different components. Sometimes they're siloed. Sometimes they're just distinct performing their function. We need a couple of things to act. We need information to act, but we also need authority to act. And we need, in some cases, a little bit of inspiration or motivation to move and, and act. Almost always, leadership becomes the critical, we describe it as a wrench in the book that gets the other gears moving. But the reality is, if you've got a threat approaching an organization and everybody's wondering, what should we do? You sometimes need a calm, steady, decisive voice that says, okay, everybody, this is a threat to us. We are going to act, start acting. Now, they don't have to micromanage everything involved in the reaction because I think there's a great room for initiative. But the reality is somebody has got to often tell the organization, pay attention, this matters. Mm -hmm. Now we've got to do this. And then set feedback loops so that that leader can give information back to the organization Yep, we're doing well or we're not doing well, and this is what we need to do from here on. We'd like to say that everybody can operate individually, but we don't have a wide enough field of view. We're all mm. operating in our lane, and so we've got to get context to know when and how we can act. But I quickly found out that I'm not the right person to be approving those operations. One, mm. I can never be deeply enough involved to really be value-add to assessing whether we should do it. And what I'm really better to do is to provide an environment of information and empowerment and a sense of accountability for what we do that gives an environment in which subordinate leaders who are closer to the problem and actually more qualified to make the decision than me making. Now, here's the hard part. I'm still responsible. And a lot of leaders struggle with this. I remember getting with my subordinate leaders and saying, okay, you've got to delegate authority lower so that we get quicker. But many of my subordinate leaders said, well, wait a minute, am I still responsible for the outcome? The answer is yes. And you go, well, if I'm not making the decision, but I'm responsible, that's putting my fate in somebody who's junior and less experienced mm. than, than my hands. Got it. Mm. <laughs> that's tough. What you've yeah. got to do is develop them, help them, support them. But there's no other way, a very centralized system where theoretically you go to the smartest person at the top of the organization, doesn't work anymore. If it ever did work, 
It's too slow now, and it's not involved enough at the lowest level to know the right answer. Those threats will almost always find a way to get inside and to hit you. Organizations have got to be prepared for the fact that they are going to have to deal with that reality. It's always going to be a problem. So what I would argue is you need to prepare a team that operates when things fall apart. You know, in the military, we used to do extensive planning, but every operation I went on never went exactly as planned. Even though they were brilliantly planned, as they always say, no plan survives enemy contact. And so what we focused on doing was creating an organization that as soon as things start to be, we call it in football, a broken play, you've got people with the relationships internally, with the initiative, with the basic skills that they can react adaptively. And that's the way our organizations have to be. We can't be brittle, process-driven, inflexible entities that do the following. We've got to be malleable. Adaptable would be the terms. And all of those factors are critical. And it's a mindset that bureaucracies sometimes struggle with because bureaucracies, if they're created on rules-driven processes, have you ever been to a clerk in a government bureaucracy and you go up and you have to have three documents and you've got two and you know and they go it says here you got a three but it doesn't make sense and that's what we've got to build in our organization you've got to tell people i want you to tell me what i've got wrong i want you to give me that that means the leader has got to be not just open to it you can't just say well i'll listen to anybody because you may believe that but they're not going to say it unless you ask it. So what I learned as a more senior officer is, and the higher you get, the harder it is. Because the higher you get, people are more nervous about being very candid to you. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to learn to ask questions in a way that elicits a different kind of response. So for example, I learned by the time I got very senior that if I went and asked people, okay, how's the strategy going? They know it's my strategy or, Whether I came up with it, I approved it. And so they're not going to go, well, I think this sucks. They assume I don't want to hear that answer. So they'll go, going great, sir. So you can't ask that question. What you have to ask is, and the way I learned to do it was, if I told you you couldn't leave Afghanistan until we win, what would you do differently from what we're doing right now? Now, what that is, it's kind of like you go from multiple choice question to essay question. You make them answer a broader thing and you have to kind of pull it out of them, but you have to pay attention. Meaning if you are a senior leader and you go down and you ask somebody's opinion, and then when they start to answer, you look over their shoulder like you're looking for something more interesting or the next thing, that just shuts it off. So you've got to listen, you got to follow up and pay attention. When you have time to do due diligence, to study the problem, to get all the analysis you can, to gather data, you should do that. But there are many times when there's just not time to gather as much information as you'd like. The key is very upfront making the decision we said that says, or making the analysis that says, when do I have to decide this to have the effect that I want? And it may be now. You've got to decide this minute, or you're going to have a declining effectiveness of your decision if you delay making it. And that's when leaders often have got to say, okay, I am going to use my intuition, my experience, all the things that got me in this position, and I'm going to make that decision. If you think about a pandemic, for example, the problem with the pandemic is the growth of the viral spread is exponential. It's not linear. So the reality is a leader has got to make a decision far before it's obvious to people that it's going to be a pandemic. And so you are saying, hey, everybody, I am going to implement a number of things that may not be popular, may be difficult, may be expensive, simply because I think there's a very high probability that this thing will get out of control if we don't do that. And the hard part for leaders is if you do that and it works, and it doesn't become a pandemic, you've got all the people on the sidelines going, wow, we spent all that money, we did all those things, and in reality, it wasn't a pandemic. And the leader can go, well, yeah, it wasn't because I, we did that. And yet, if you wait till the house is on fire, 
then everybody says we've got to do something. The reality is in many situations, then your measures are relatively ineffective. If you want to change the playbook, you've got to get the players to use the new plays. And just to put it frankly, Bradley, you know, most of us don't want to change. <laughs> We're comfortable with the way we do things today. We've had success in the past with the way we do things. We're a little uncertain of whether the change will work. And no matter how you look at it, it seems like it's going to involve more hours and more headaches, but it's incredibly hard to get people to change. So that's what's really at the heart of it. But when you come all the way back to the very thing you said to me a few minutes ago, I love that quote that you just gave. I have a corollary to that quote, which comes from a brilliant thought leader in the United States named Ram Sharan, where he said, strategy without execution is hallucination. And I think that's the real trap. I think leaders are in love. I remember now, I'm 44 years in leadership, so I have nothing to say that doesn't apply to me. But leaders are in love with strategy. Because strategy is beautiful and it's clean and it's neat and you're up in the clouds, you're envisioning everything you want to do and you're sort of seeing it in your head like a Spielberg movie. It all works in your head. You see everybody working beautifully and cooperating and being passionately engaged and and that's why we love strategy. And haven't you ever done this? We make a set of PowerPoint slides. We present them to everybody. The whole leadership team just says, oh, man, we've done it. And then tragically, they walk away and say, well, the hard work is done. All you guys have to do now is execute. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the real challenge, the beauty, the euphoria of creating a strategy versus the dirty, gritty muddy part of actually executing. It makes me think of this quote, you know, uh, Mike Tyson had a quote that said, everybody has a fight plan until I hit them in the face. That's the best summary of your question that I know. Everybody has a strategy until they get hit in the face with what it takes to actually execute, especially to execute with excellence. But in its simplest form, discipline one says that you can only do something extraordinary on one goal at a time. You can be good at a lot of things. Maybe you even come near greatness on a couple of things. But if you're talking about a breakthrough result, a growth in revenue that we've never had before, an increase in market share unprecedented in our business, a level of customer satisfaction and testimonial that is literally generating the new business for us in the coming year. I'm talking, if you're talking about a breakthrough result, you can really only do that on one thing at a time. Mm. Now, before anybody of your listeners who's driving their car or eating a hamburger turns us off and says, well, wait a minute, that's not realistic. I'm not saying you only have one goal. In fact, no organization can run on only one goal, I don't think. Yeah. But we are saying you have to do the courageous thing of saying this particular goal is more important than all these others. Mm. So we still have an accountability to the others. We still have operating metrics that we know we must hit to have a healthy and a growing business, but we can only do one extraordinary thing at a time. So that's why discipline one says, focus on what is, and if this name seems a little cheesy, sorry, wildly important, meaning so special that the results will be disproportionately impactful. And if we miss the big one, we won't be able to celebrate all the little ones in quite the same way because we missed the one that mattered most. So if that makes right. sense to all your listeners, we are narrowing our focus down to one wildly important goal and committing to treat it differently than all the others. Leading measures are not just any actions that drive a goal. If you said to a sales leader, your goal is to increase sales by 17% this year, what are you going to do to make that happen? Every sales leader in the world could tell you 21 things, better face-to-face mm -hmm. -face meetings, better collateral materials, pre-agenda before we go see a client, 100% follow through on all commitments made during a meeting. I mean, oh, every sales leader in the world could give you 20, 30 things. Yeah. But the harsh truth is that only two or three of those really drive the result. The rest are just part of a process. Remember the old 80-20 rule, 20% of what you do produces 80% of what you get. That's really applicable in lead measures. Only a few of the behaviors you and your team do drive the disproportionate amount of your results, the 80% of your results. So the hard task of discipline two is figuring out what those few behaviors are 
and then being willing to double down on those behaviors as the real drivers, the real game plan, if you will, for how I'm going to achieve the goal. I bet we would all be staggered if we knew what percentage of our own teams don't feel they're playing a winnable game. They're going through all the motions. They're trying to do everything we ask them to do, but in their heart, they do not believe it. They don't believe this is a winnable game, the way it's been set up or the way it's being executed. And think about it, day after day after day, how do you drag yourself in the office to play an unwinnable game? That's one of the worst versions of being alive I can think of, right? So discipline three solves that, but it solves it in a really remarkable way. Now, this is where my bias is coming out. One of the biggest discoveries, I think Chris would say this just the way I do, uh, the biggest discovery, we've both been 15 years thinking about one thing predominantly, execution. We were stunned to realize that the way you keep score changes the way people play. For discipline four is to create a cadence of accountability. Now, the word cadence is the pivotal one because it implies consistent, systematic, forward move, sort of like an army on the march. And it basically says that we are committed to move forward on the wildly important goal every single week. We're committed. Good times, bad times, busy times, slow times, times when people are out sick, times when the whole staff is here, doesn't matter. We are committed to the regular systematic cadence of accountability that takes us forward. Now that's just the principle. Here's the mechanics as we've done a good job, I think on each discipline, let's finish the last one with how do you do that? Uh, discipline four, again, stuns leaders all the time, Bradley, because it involves holding a 20 minute meeting every single week. And don't send me any emails, please. Death by meeting. I've read that book. It's a great book, by the way, but I don't want any more meetings either. I get it. You've got enough meetings. You hate meetings. You wish meetings would be abolished. I got it. But in this case, it's a meeting unlike any other meeting you've ever had. First of all, it only lasts 20 minutes and there aren't many people listening to you and me, nor you and me, Bradley, that ever run a 20 minute meeting, right? 45 minutes to an hour is more like what we try to do, right? So it's brief and it's fast paced, but it's what happens in the meeting that matters. In the meeting, every single member of your team and you make a verbal commitment for the most important thing you're gonna do this week to move the score. So now picture your team standing in a circle or sitting around a conference table, however you would do it in your place. And imagine one by one by one by one by one, everybody says, well, I got two new people starting next week. So my commitment is they will both be fully trained by Friday and they'll be ready for to be on the production line a week after they start. That's my full commitment. The next person says, we've all been having this system problem. It's affecting our work. So I've scheduled a meeting with IT. I'm going to help them see the problem. And we're going to get a fix in place by the end of the week. You know, so one by one by one, everybody makes commitment. Then the meeting's over. Everybody leaves, comes back seven days later. And one by one by one, everybody says what they actually did. So I committed to get my two new people trained and up to speed and I was able to get that done and they're out there right now making a contribution. Okay. Next person says, you know, I, gosh, I meant to get that meeting with IT, but they rescheduled and I had a conflict about it. Well, imagine that moment, that person who said they were going to do something and then they didn't do it, but their mm -hmm. accountability is transparent. It's verbal, it's public. And I want to be really careful now, anybody who's listening to this, this is not about shaming that person. It's not about in any way making that person feel inadequate. It's not that at all. It's about saying, if you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it, and the only reason you have for not doing it is because you were busy, well, you're always going to be busy. So how are we ever going to get to the next level? We have mm -hmm. to introduce this discipline. And part of how we introduce it is it's uncomfortable when you made a promise and you didn't keep it to the team. Well, what's key about this, and I'll make it my last comment and see where else you want to go with this. The difference is you're not making that commitment to your boss. Your boss is in the room and you care about them and you all the regular stuff is in play. But in reality, you're making a commitment to the people you work with. Mm -hmm. And when you report out the next week, your boss is in the room. Of course, I'm not saying that, but you are in essence reporting to the people you work with. 52 times a year, you pass a test of whether you do what you say you'll do, whether you can be trusted to follow through on the things you commit to do. And 
in our software, we even keep a running track of this. We have a credibility score in our software. And every time you log in, there it is. You know, if you look at that credibility score and you see you're at 62%. So what you're saying to everybody who works with you is you can all trust me because a little more than half the time, I'll actually do what I say I'm going to do. Hey, as we wrap up the year, first, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have listened to the podcast on such a frequent basis, who have shared the podcast with your fellow business owners, insurance agency owners around the country. We do this to be able to serve you. We hope that we help you to be able to grow in your leadership, develop your teams, and ultimately scale your business so you can go and make a difference in your community, in your business, with your families, with your teams. And go and make your small dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said. We have really big plans for the podcast in 2022. I'm so thankful for all the guests we were able to get on this year. My sincere gratitude to all of you and to the guests that we're going to be having on in 2022. We have an amazing lineup. We cannot wait to continue to serve you and your business. And obviously, I want to give a big shout out. We would not be able to do that and have those guests if it wasn't for our amazing podcast sponsors. Direct Clicks has been with us since the very beginning. Obviously, Club Capital, Coach P Consulting, and Relevant Advantage. You all are amazing people. You run amazing companies and you serve people at the highest level. So we are so grateful to be able to partner with you. Obviously, if you want to reach out to any of them, we always put the show links to their websites and how you can get in contact with them. And on behalf of my family, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and see you all in 2022. Lead well.